Um, Brian uh, preached last, uh, about a month or so ago, I don't know, but uh, had a, I mean, Brian's always extremely interesting. I, I feel like, Brian, every time I have you preach, I've got to give you uh, a little introduction because uh, you all pretty much know Brian, but uh, by profession, he is a conference speaker, okay, meaning that he's not like a one-and-done type thing like what I am. Uh, he preaches like the, what we're doing right now is like eight sessions long. And then I say, hey, Brian, why don't you come in and, and preach your whole sermon series uh, in like uh, like one shot? You know, it's just not even fair. So when he's up there, he's like going through slides going, can't tell you this one, can't tell you this one, can't tell you this one. Um, but uh, the, the last one he taught uh, I thought was really good and uh, opened up my eyes to, if you remember, he talked. On, uh, on, on Adam and Eve, and he talked about, uh, about the responsibility that Adam had, husbands, uh, to where Adam uh, really took it on the chin for, for Eve, and that is what a husband's your responsibility is, is to lay down your life for your wife, and I thought that was really eye-opening, uh, what you're sharing, and I, matter of fact, after that week, I said, I want, to, I want to have you come back like the next week because I want to hear part two on it, and it just didn't work out. So uh, when my uh, kid said, hey, I want you to go to the game, I said, hey, Brian, are you around? And he, he was. So anyway, with, uh, without uh, giving him further introduction because you guys know him, um, I'm going to have Brian come up and uh, share part two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. I'm not real sure where that is, but uh, anyway, thanks, Brian. We'll go with this here. This works just fine. So anyway, um, today we're going to talk a little bit about the Holy Spirit, and want to jump into uh, uh, the book of Acts in chapter 2. Um, what we see here is the word glossolalia, which is just a fancy word in the Greek for speaking in tongues. That's what was going on there when they were speaking in tongues in Acts chapter 2. So if you do have your Bibles or your phones or whatever you use, please go to Acts chapter 2 because we are going to look at quite a bit of this chapter. And if we have time, we'll jump into 1 Corinthians chapter 14 too. But for now, this is where we want to begin. And so let's start with a word of prayer and then we're going to jump into it. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this time. I thank you for your word and I just ask that you would be glorified here today. Lord, your word is truth, and um, we know that the, the Spirit works through that word, and <clears throat> it convicts, it teaches, it, 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 uh, it pricks our heart, and it brings uh, people to faith. I just ask that you would use your word here today, Father, to speak to each and every one of us individually, because we know that you desire that none should perish, and uh, that is the goal of your word, that is the goal of Jesus. And so let us hear from you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, in Acts chapter 2, uh, we, we know, you know the, the whole story of Pentecost. That's basically what we're going to be reading here. Uh, Pentecost is simply the Greek word for the Hebrew festival of Shavuot. And so that's what's going on here. In chapter 2, it says this, When the day of Pentecost came and they were all together in one place... Suddenly, a sound like blowing of a violent wind. Sound familiar? Like today, maybe? It came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. A couple of things here. Like I said, I want you to catch the time of when this is happening. That's important. It is the time of Shavuot or Pentecost. Second thing, I want you to notice that there is a loud sound that goes with this. In this case, like the sound of a wind it describes. It goes on. 
They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. A couple more things I want you to notice here. Number one, there's something visual that's going on here. All right, and it seems kind of obvious. We've all grown up in probably Sunday school stories where we see little flames of fire coming up from the top of the, their heads and, you know, something very foreign to probably them back then as well as us today. Well, I'm going to challenge that thinking here today. I do not believe that this was a foreign thing going on. I think that the Jews were very familiar with what was going on, familiar with this sight in sound. The other thing is, is you'll notice that the Spirit, it says it began to speak in other tongues through that Spirit. It's not tongue, singular, it is tongues, plural. That too is going to be very important. You see, I had mentioned the Dead Sea Scrolls before. Now, the Dead Sea Scrolls were found in Qumran, uh, just kind of by the Dead Sea there. Now, the Dead Sea Scrolls were from what what we call the Essenes, these people that were living along the Dead Sea. They had removed themselves from society. You might almost kind of say they were like Amish of today, okay? They had removed themselves from society, and they, they lived a very pious life, almost maybe you could say like a monk lifestyle. Now, they inhabited this area of Qumran around 150 to 400 BC, so before Christ. That's very important. Because when they found the Dead Sea Scrolls, about 70% of what they found are what we would call canonical books, you know, things that are in our Bible. But there was also another 30% of books that were found. It wasn't just our Bible that was discovered. They found other non-canonical books, things uh, like the book of Enoch, okay, as well as other things in the Apocrypha and other things that you probably have never even heard of, one of which was called the Tongues of Fire Fragments, okay? And so even before Christ, even before Pentecost, what we're talking about now, I want you to understand that they understood Tongues of Fire, I always grew up thinking that this was a unique concept. And wow, the first time, and everybody's, whoa, what is this? We have no idea what's happening. While I know, and the scripture will show you, that some are confused by this, I'm not so sure it was the fire part that was confusing. As a matter of fact, scripture says it really wasn't the fire part that was confusing. What was confusing is what they were hearing. Not the visual tongues of fire. Okay, that's important because when we go back and we look at the priestly clothing that was worn in the Old Testament, you can see here that the high priest wore this beautiful garb and he wore what was called a breastplate on his chest, you can see there. Well, behind the breastplate, the scriptures tell us, were two pockets. And in those pockets, he held two stones, one called the Urim, one called the Thummim. Now, We know that those Urim and Thummims were used to communicate with God, and God communicated in a supernatural way through those stones to his people. How? The Bible really doesn't tell us. We don't know, but we do have Jewish records that tell us what went on. Okay? Now, 
I'm going to share a little bit with you on that, but just if you wanted some examples in, in uh, Nehemiah 7, we see where they needed to know who were actually in the line of the Levites because there were priests coming back for the new temple. Well, the, the family records had been destroyed. There was no proof of it, so they used these stones to determine who was in the line of Levi and who wasn't, who could be a priest and who couldn't be. Okay, so this is kind of practically what we see in Scripture, how it was used. We even see here in Acts chapter, or not Acts, but Exodus chapter 28, some examples of what Scripture says why these were even instituted in the priesthood by God. He says, put the Urim and the Thummim in the breastplate, or the breastpiece, so that they may be over Aaron's heart. Whenever he enters the presence of the Lord, thus Aaron will always bear the means of making decisions for the Israelites over his heart before the Lord. So God even says, you are to do this because this is how I will communicate with you. And you are to bear those words, those instructions over your heart. I don't think that's an accident. That God's word and instructions were to be worn over the heart. Well, let me show you a little bit from the Dead Sea Scrolls, these fragments of the tongues of fire and what it says. Now, it, they are fragments, but this is what it says about the Urim and the Thummim. It says, The stone, just as the Lord commanded, they shall give you light, and it, the cloud, shall come forth with him with tongues of fire. In other words, what he's saying is that when God was speaking to them with God's word, what came with the cloud, with God's presence, were tongues of fire. The presence of God was associated with these tongues of fire. Now, uh, by the way, the context of a lot of this is talking about at Mount Sinai. We're going to look at this later. When the Ten Commandments were given. It goes on. It says, The left-hand stone, which is on the left side, shall be uncovered before the whole congregation until the priest finishes speaking. And after the cloud has been lifted, you shall observe and do all that the prophet shall say to you. And the prophet who counsels rebellion to the Lord your God. And it goes on and we've got pieces missing. It goes on and it says, the right-hand stone, remember there are two, the priest comes out, three tongues of fire from the right-hand stone, and after he goes up, he shall draw near to the people. Again, very fragmented, but what we see is from these stones, the one that came up in the right hand, tongues of fire came out from it. Now, we can look at this and think, oh, that's weird. I don't think it's any more weird than in Acts chapter 2, there were tongues of fire over the heads of these people. Yes, this is very foreign to us. It is a foreign concept, but it was not a foreign concept to the Jew back in these days. I think that's why there's not a whole lot mentioned about it in Scripture, like, oh, they were all surprised about the fire. No, they're confused by what they're hearing. Well, in Acts chapter 2, verse 3, just backing up there a little bit, it says this. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated. That's important too. 
It wasn't. Now, growing up, my vision of it, because of all my Sunday school stories, is this little flame sticking up upon one person's head, you know, and everybody's got one. All right? But this is saying these tongues of fire separated. That it was going out. The word glossolalia for speaking in tongues, if you look at the root word here in Strong's, this is the definition of that word. The tongue or a language, a nation usually distinguished by their speech. Okay? And so when this tongue is being separated, this fire being separated, it seems to be going in many different languages because this is what we read here in Acts chapter 2, verse 5 now. There were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men, from every nation under heaven. The reason that there are people from every nation here right now is because, remember I said when this is happening, it was the festival of Shavuot, Pentecost. This is one of the three festivals in which everybody was required to come to Jerusalem. This was a requirement of the Jewish faith at this time. And so Everybody from all of Israel were coming to Jerusalem. So this is a very opportune time for God to speak to his people. Okay, It's just like when I'm setting up the museum, the Semisaurus Mobile Museum, it is nice to set it up when we have people from all over the place coming to one spot. That's what's happening here. And it goes on, it says, when this sound occurred... The multitude came together and were confused, not because of necessarily the sight, but the sound, because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Now, I've heard sermons on this, and and basically the, the question is, was the miracle necessarily in the word that they spoke, and then all of a sudden everybody heard it in a different language? That maybe the the miracle was in the ear of the hearer, not the voice coming out. Well, in doing this study, I've come to realize I think the miracle was in the voice coming out because I believe that voice separated into every nation. And we're going to come back to that. But for now, just kind of keep that in mind. Verse 7, Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look! Are not all these who speak Galileans? They would have all spoke one language, but yet it goes on in verse 8. How is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? Parthians, Medes, and it goes on through all of these people, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. Another, just to remind you, all nations were gathered here. And all nations are hearing this word come out. In verse 11, it continues. It says, we hear them speaking in our own tongues. What do they hear them speaking? The wonderful works of God. That's very important because what I want you to understand is speaking in tongues, what was the purpose of it? To give the wonderful works of God. 
And I do believe that in our society, especially America here, we have become very narcissistic about the Holy Spirit. We have become very narcissistic in the churches as far as what we are even here today for. Are you here today to see what God will give you? Are you here today so that you can be blessed? Now, I'm not saying God isn't going to speak to you today. I'm not even saying that you're not going to be blessed today. But I'll tell you this, you shouldn't be here for that purpose. What you should be here for is to be giving the God of all creation, the King of the creation, the King of the universe, glory, honor, and praise. It isn't about you. It is about Him. And what we see here in the speaking of tongues, it wasn't for the people directly, it was to glorify God. Oh, the people benefited, but the main purpose is to glorify God. And I think each and every one of us, myself included, we need to ask ourselves, why do we come to church? Why are we here? Is it so that you could be healed? You know what? Maybe you will not be healed. Maybe it's because God is going to be glorified through your sickness. It isn't about you. It's about Him. Are are you here so that, you know, maybe the troubles and trials in your life are going to go away? It isn't about you. Do you know that Jesus even promised that you would have trials and tribulations in this life? If you follow him, he never once promised the white picket fence and the nice cars and the beautiful spouse. He promises persecution, which is why he tells us that if you're going to follow him, you better first stop and consider the cost because it's going to be costly. It is not going to be a bowl of cherries It's going to be a bowl of cherries mixed with the pits. This is what we see in the speaking of tongues. Now, by the way, the scriptures, and maybe if we get time, we're going to talk about this. The scriptures talk, we are to eagerly desire these gifts. So don't get me wrong, but I do want you to understand that you're supposed to desire it so that you can give him glory, not so that you can get something. We have to change our thinking in in this society in America today about what church is about, why we come to worship. It's for Him. I'm worshiping Him, not so that I can get something, not even so that I feel the warm fuzzy, but so that I worship Him to give Him glory. This is what we're seeing here. They were speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? Others, mocking, said, they're full of new wine. They're drunk. Now, are there mockers today? Absolutely. Nothing has changed. Even back then, there were people, they they were not understanding what was going on here. They were hearing in another language. They were seeing a miracle. They were seeing God literally speaking supernaturally to them. And they still mocked it. It's no different today, is it? There are all kinds of mockers who think it's crazy for us to come and sit here on a Sunday morning and and worship this God of all creation. 
people who are not going to understand the words that are said. Oh, they hear the voice, but they don't understand it. It doesn't connect with their spirit. Well, verse 36, jumping down a little bit here, it says this, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? You see, after explaining that they weren't drunk, what was the result that we see here? Conviction. They were cut to the heart. You see, one of the purposes of the speaking in tongues and of this miracle of God supernaturally speaking through these apostles was to convict these hearers. Conviction. Another thing that I think we in America would do well to hear. You see, speaking in tongues today, I think it's been kind of one of these things that I think wrongly has been proof that you're a Christian. I don't believe in that doctrine. Okay? Uh, maybe we'll talk about that. I don't know. You can do some study of that in, in 1 Corinthians 14. But bottom line is this. It isn't about you outside of God speaking to you, but it is one of the primary reasons is it's to cut to your heart. And those who hear it, it should cause them to hear and feel conviction. Conviction of what we have become as a church in America. Self-seeking, bless me people. Rather than, this is all about you, God. If all you ever did for me was die on the cross so that I might live forever, but go through hell on earth, praise God. Praise God. Because it's about him. It goes on here in verse 38. Then Peter said to them, repent. You see, when we are convicted, you have a choice set before you. Kind of like what I spoke about last time. God put the garden in the Garden of Eden, the tree of knowledge, in the tree of life. He set before you a choice. Likewise, when that conviction comes, because I'll tell you something, the Holy Spirit is doing that in all of our lives every day. A conviction. You see something on TV that you know you shouldn't be watching, you shouldn't be looking at, there's that little prick of a conscience right now. You're cut to the heart, and now you have a choice. Continue watching or repent. You keep coveting something that you want here for this upcoming Christmas, right? You covet something. Now you have a choice. You can either be pricked by the, and convicted of that and say, you know what? The Bible says I shouldn't covet these things, that I should set my eyes on Jesus instead, and we can just stop thinking about that. Or we can, you know, continue to covet it's a choice, but you have the choice of repenting. But I'll tell you something, guys. I think because we are so addicted to the idol of pleasure and comfort in our society today that it's so much easier just to ignore 
that pricking of our conscience. It's so much easier just not to, not to study it out, not to look at it, not to think about it. I just want to live my life. Rather than letting it do what it was supposed to do and bring about repentance because that's what Peter says. Now that the Spirit has done his job and he has brought conviction in your heart, repent. Repent. Don't just turn away. Don't ignore it. Take it to heart. And let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. He makes this promise. Now, by the way, guys, I think, you know, when you receive the Holy Spirit, it comes in many different forms. The, the Bible talks about the fruit of the Spirit, all right? It isn't just speaking in tongues. Okay, there, it's one Spirit with many different characteristics or aspects or attributes or whatever you want to call it. Self-control, joy. You see, there's lots of different aspects, not just one. There isn't one evidence that you have the Spirit. But you see, it goes on here in verse 41, then those who gladly received his word were baptized. Those that took it to heart, didn't turn away and decide it was too hard and I'm going to ignore this, but those that repented, received his word, they were baptized in that day, 3,000 souls were added to them. I love that. You see, there was fruit that came from the gift of tongues. And that fruit was salvation for many others. 3,000 people, it says. That's an important number because we're going to look at this here again. I want to take you to Exodus 32. In Exodus 32, the background here, we see the Ten Commandments have been given. Moses goes back up the mountain. And we see that the Israelites, because Moses has been gone for so long, decide we want to go back to Egypt, spiritually speaking. You see, in Egypt, they grew up with a world that was filled with paganism, filled with things that were ungodly. And they would worship these gods bulls, like, you know, uh, uh, calves and things like that. And so when Moses is gone, they say, Aaron, make us an idol. Make us this golden calf. And so Aaron, being pressured by the people, takes all of the gold that they have, these earrings, and he melts it down, and, and according to his words, out comes this calf. Then Aaron gives it to them, and he says, here is your God. Now, by the way, if you go look at this in Exodus 32, what he says is, here is Yahweh. He doesn't say some false god, you know, uh, you know, Taurus the bull. or He says, here is Yahweh. The God that brought you out of Egypt. What they did is they began to worship God how they wanted to worship him. Not how God told them to worship, but how we want to. We want to worship Yahweh this way. We're going to form and fashion what we think he looks like. Who we think he is. How he says, or not how he says to worship, but how we think we should worship him. And that's what they did. It says, now when Moses saw that the people were unrestrained, for Aaron had not restrained them to their shame among their enemies, 
Then Moses stood in the entrance of the camp and said, Whoever is on the Lord's side, come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered themselves together to him. The context here is when Moses came down the mountain and saw what was going on and that they were reveling and partying and celebrating God, Yahweh, the Lord of heaven and earth, but in a wrong way. Moses is disgusted. Now, I'll tell you what, uh, another message, but I'm just blown away by this because I don't have this kind of heart, but I want it. I want a heart of Moses. Keep in mind, these people have been nothing but a thorn in Moses' flesh. They have done nothing but complain. They have been nothing but whiners. Even to the point of, of saying, Moses, you shouldn't be leading us. We don't even like you, Moses. And Moses is going to go back up the mountain and he says, God says to him, get away from these people because I'm going to destroy them. I'm going to wipe them out. You know what I'd have said? Finally, God's going to vindicate me. Finally. Is that what Moses says? No, Moses says this. As a Christ figure, he says, no, Lord. Please, no. Blot me out of the book of life. He's not saying, okay, no, Lord, you know, just, you know, maybe punish them or, you know what. He's saying, I'll go to hell for them. Blot me out of your book if that's what you're going to do. No, blot me out instead. That's incredible. Yet that's what Jesus does. By the way, Paul says the same thing in Romans. He says, I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ. Go to hell. Cut off from Christ for the sake of my own people, the the, the people of Israel, my own brothers. Even Paul, the people who were persecuting him, trying to kill him, he says, I'd rather die and go to hell than them go to hell. That's Moses. That's what's going on here. Incredible. You know why? Because Moses desired that none should perish. That's important too. You know what's fascinating about this, most of all to me though? The Bible doesn't say it outright, but it does say it when you put the pieces together. We know when they left Egypt. It was on Passover around our April 14th, but the 14th of Nisan. We know they crossed the Red Sea three days later, Nisan 17. We know the Bible tells us how far they wander and when all of this is going on. Do you know when this is happening? Shavuot, Pentecost. This whole golden calf experience is happening at the same exact time that we just read in Acts chapter 2. Pentecost. Shavuot. Well, we go on here in chapter 32 of Exodus. In verse 27, it says, He said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Let every man put his sword on his side, go in and out from from entrance to entrance throughout the camp, and let every man kill his brother, every man his companion, and every man his neighbor. So the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses, and about 3,000 men of the people fell that day. Do you think it's an accident that 3,000 people are dying on Pentecost of the Old Testament? And yet in the New Testament, under the New Covenant, we see 3,000 people being saved. 
It's no accident. And not only that, but there are other connections that you're about to see that are just amazing to me. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 18, you might want to look at this verse. It says this, Now all the people witnessed the thunderings, the lightning flashes, the sound of the trumpet, and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood afar off. What I want you to see is this is at the giving of the, t- uh, the Ten Commandments. Notice there are sounds, there are sights. Okay, what are they seeing? Lightning flashes. What are they hearing? The Bible says thunderings here, right? Well, I want to give you Jewish commentary of this verse because it's going to be kind of surprising for you, I think. Here's Rabbi Yohanan. He said this, What is meant by the verse, The Lord giveth the word, that they publish the tidings are a great host? Every single word that went forth from the omnipotent was split up into 70 languages. Just to explain a little bit, Rabbi Yohanan is saying when the Ten Commandments were given, the voice of God split up into 70 languages. Now, why 70? I'll tell you this. At the Tower of Babel, it is believed that there were 70 nations, just like Israel, Jacob brought in 70, why Scripture talks about that, that God split them into 70 languages so that all of humanity is represented by 70 nations. Okay? Now, Rabbi Ishmael taught this about this exact same verse. Like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces... Just as a hammer is divided into many sparks, you know when you take a hammer and you hit something and sparks shoot out? That's what he's talking about. So every single word that went forth from the Holy One, blessed be he, split up into 70 languages. So even he, saying here at Exodus 20, when God gave the Ten Commandments, the voice went out as sparks from a hammer hitting into 70 languages. Well, another one says this, another Jewish commentary on this verse. The Torah says, and all the people saw the voices. How do you see a voice? I mean, I know sometimes I can spit when I'm talking, but I don't think that's what's going on here. He says they saw the voices, plural, Note that it does not say that singular voice. Do you remember that when Pentecost happened, it said it went out in languages, plural, not singular? And yet here at Mount Sinai, it is plural voices that they see. It goes on, whereby Rabbi Yohanan said that God's voice, as it was uttered, split up into 70 voices in 70 languages. Why? So that... All the nations should understand. What happened at Pentecost? These tongues separated. Why? So that all those nations that had been gathered would hear the voice of God. You see, there was a purpose for these tongues. There's a connection here. But you might be saying, wait a minute, I just read Exodus 20, verse 18. I didn't hear that. This is just Jewish commentary. 
I don't get my doctrine from Jewish commentary. I agree, I don't either. But when it lines up with what Scripture says, I'm pretty interested in it. Let's look at Exodus 20:18 one more time. All the people witnessed the thunderings, the lightning flashes, the sound of the trumpet, and the mountain smoking. I don't see anything about tongues of fire going out, anything like that. But you know what? I'm going to show you the Hebrew, okay, that's in your Bible, the Hebrew of these words right here. The Hebrew of the lightning flashes and the thundering, okay? Here it is. I've got it in white below. If I'd read that to you here, it reads, for, you know, with your, from the right to the left, okay? That first word there is vahal. Basically, uh, it says this, that um, and all. That's all that means. The next word there is ha'am, the people. The next word is et, which is just like a, a participle kind of thing, et. And then it says ha'kolot, the voices. Okay, ve'et ha'lapadim, which is the torches. In other words, putting it together, it simply says this, all the people saw the voices and the torches. Again, I ask, how do you see voices? But what Scripture literally says here in Exodus 20, verse 18, which is why these rabbis are talking about it, is it says that when God gave the Ten Commandments, the people saw voices. You see, this is why it was not a foreign concept to the Jews when the tongues of fire took place here in Acts chapter 2. And this is not even a foreign concept in other parts of Scripture. Psalm 29, as an example, says this in verse 7, The voice of the Lord divides the flames of fire. What's that mean? Well, I think the Jews understood it. But I think we just kind of roll over that and don't think about it. The ESV of this version, it says, The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. That when God spoke supernaturally on Mount Sinai, Flames, sparks, went out to 70 languages. The same thing that happened here in Acts. So let's just summarize this a little bit. What was going on here at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2? Through tongues, God spoke supernaturally to the people. As a sign, with a purpose. A purpose that they would hear the word of God. A purpose that they would repent, be cut to the heart. And that they would come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That was the main purpose. Okay? He spoke in an actual language. They all heard in their own language. Not everybody understood. There were mockers, just as there are mockers today. And God was the one that was magnified, not the apostles. God was magnified. And last of all, I want you to understand that how did these disciples get this gift? It wasn't a work of man. It wasn't by them being good enough, holy enough, giving enough to the poor. It was simply a work of God. Simply a work of the Spirit. Nothing that they could buy. As a matter of fact, we see later in Acts, there's a guy that tries to buy the Spirit. And he says, cursed be you with the money that you have, basically, right? 
This isn't something that you have a five-step program to receive. It is something that God and God alone gives. Acts 2.17 says, And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. You see, this is quoting what Peter is explaining, what's going on here. All these tongues and the fires you're seeing, this is what God has prophesied way back when in Joel about in the last days the Spirit is going to be poured out. Guys, this gift is relevant for the last days, Scripture says. Now, last I checked, we're still in the last days. If it's no longer effective, as some denominations do say, if it's no longer effective, then nor are any of the other gifts of the Spirit. How about 1 Corinthians 12 says about, you know, the Spirit. It says, to one person is given this, to another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the same Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, discerning of spirits. To another, different kinds of tongues. Does everybody that's a believer have the gift of tongues? No. It says, to some, they get this. Another, they get this gift. But not everybody gets them all, do they? I think that's important with understanding some denominational theologies here today. It says, to another, the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. Not as you desire, as he wills. I don't speak in tongues. Some believers would tell me that I am not saved because of that. Okay, I don't have that. I know plenty of people who do, but I do not. You see, but I know that the same Spirit that gives some that gift of tongues has given me other gifts. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 8 says, Love never fails, but whether there, are prophecy, where there, whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Where there is knowledge, it will vanish away. Many people, some of these other denominations, are going to tell you that this is why the Spirit no longer works today. It was a gift. The gift of tongues was something that was given in the Old Testament apostolic age, but you see, he talks about them ceasing, and they'll dissect these words and say, you know, where one stops, that word stop, and cease are different words and and here it means like it's just going to be done well i i think first of all that's a twisting of of the greek there second of all i believe this has knowledge ceased no so if knowledge hasn't ceased then the gift of tongues hasn't ceased either he is making a comparison here saying this is still a very valid thing He says, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then in the future when the Lord comes back face to face, now I see in part, but later I will, you know, just as I also am known. I think this is a confirmation that this is a valid thing even to today because he's saying, listen, now this is only in part, but later this whole gift of tongues thing, you're all going to speak it. You're all going to know it. There will be no need for interpretation. You will have it all. 
but now you see dimly. Later. Now you do have these gifts. Later it will be fulfilled. It's the same thing. Faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love. Why? Are you going to have faith in heaven? No. What's there to have faith in? It's fulfilled. Do you have hope? No. Who hopes for what he yet has already has, Romans says. It's fulfilled. Will you have love? Yes. Love never ends. And so of faith, hope, and love, the greatest is love because it's eternal, but faith will end because it will be fulfilled. Hope will end because it will be fulfilled, but love goes on forever. Tongues will cease because there's no longer a need for it. Because what was the purpose? So that God would be glorified. It is a sign to others. Yes, it is for our edification, but you're going to have it. You don't need it anymore. So yes, it will cease then, not now. Acts 10.46. Oops, did I hit the wrong button here? 1 Corinthians 13, verse 8, I guess. Love never fails, but whether there are... I guess we looked at that. Sorry, I messed up my slides here. In Acts 10.46, Peter shares the gospel to Cornelius. Okay, a Gentile, by the way. And remember what happens? He gets the Holy Spirit. Okay, how did they know? Because he began speaking in tongues. So it was a sign in this case. Now, by the way, keep in mind that this is a Gentile. Uh, today we also have a, a theology called dual covenant theology, that God has one covenant for the Jew, another covenant for the Gentile. Go read your Bibles. Okay? Wrong. Okay, not only do we see the same gifts, but we even see Paul over and over talking about the dividing wall of hostility being broken down, that we would be united, that we would be one. There are not two covenants. There is a single covenant. Read the Bible. I could give you verse upon verse upon verse. But I also want you to understand this. There will be counterfeits. The Bible talks about false prophets, right? Yeah, all kinds of false prophets were warned about. If there are false prophets, does that mean there are false spirits? Yep. You bet. And I believe even when it comes to speaking in tongues, that there is a false speaking in tongues. And by the way, I think it's in a lot of our churches, even right here in Hastings today. Maybe even in this church, I don't know. Okay, because let me just show you what... Baker's Illustrated Bible Dictionary says defining the gift of tongues. It says this, The ecstatic phenomena traditionally associated with religious experiences that has been practiced through the ages in various religious settings, both Christian and non-Christian. You want to watch something terrible? Go watch my uh, YouTube video on a kundalini spirit. It will play right into this. Awful because you'll see what's happening in churches today. And you're going to see that there is a false spirit. The same manifestations that we see going on in Christian churches today, even in Hastings and Grand Island, you can go see those exact same manifestations in Hinduism and in other pagan religions. Exact same. Speaking in tongues, being drunk in the spirit, Exact same stuff. So, 
by the way, while I believe in the speaking of spirits, you better test the spirits to see if they are from God. If you speak in tongues, why don't you talk about Jesus being Lord as you pray in tongues? If you can't, there might be a problem. But anyway, what I want you to see is both Christian and non-Christians by individuals in private as well as in whole communities. It goes on when the Apostles Paul mentioned the use of tongues being a sign not for believers but for unbelievers, he refers to a view that was commonly held among the practitioners of ancient pagan religions, according to which glossolalia was a sign of the active presence of the gods. In other words, it was a sign to people that you were holy. If you speak in tongues, or you know somebody who speaks in tongues, who uses this as some sign that, hey, I'm a holy person because, hey, I can speak in tongues, that might not be the right spirit either. Because that is exactly what throughout history has happened. As a matter of fact, we see here, uh, we went to Delphi. I led a tour to Delphi years ago. And we saw the Oracle of Delphi, where they would put her basically over this big hole where they'd burn drugs and she'd sit over there and people would come from all over to listen to the prophecies that this Oracle of Delphi would give. And she would speak in tongues. It says, thus, whenever the oracle Delphi became inspired, she would speak in tongues as evidence of supernatural illumination. You see, the devil counterfeits everything that God does. And so, this is why we as a church have to be discerning. We don't just go with the flow with whatever churches and and, and denominations are saying. We have to measure it according to the word of God. Because just because somebody's speaking in tongues doesn't mean that they're holy. It might mean that they are very unholy, like the Oracle of Delphi. It goes on, the interpretation of glossolalia as divine activity has been accepted by practitioners as diverse as medieval mystics, Huguenots, secretariats, and oriental religionists. Okay, like I said, Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. You know what he wants? Worship. Do you think a false form of this spirit would be worshiping Satan? You bet. And that's why we have to be discerning. Well, I'm pretty much out of time, but I I just want you to see one more thing here. Ezekiel 2.1 says that the spirit entered me when he spoke to me. When God spoke to Ezekiel, the spirit entered into him. Do you know that when Cornelius, when he began to speak in tongues, you know when it was? When they were praying for him. In other cases, we see that they laid hands on them. You know what that tells me? In other places, they were just praying and it happened, like in Acts chapter 2. Nobody laid any hands, they weren't praying for it, but boom, there it is, right? It tells me there is not a formula that you can do because it isn't a gift that you have. It is a gift God has. Yes, I understand the Bible says when they lay hands on you, you can get, but again, it's his choice to give it to you. There isn't a formula, one way that you have to receive this gift. I encourage you to go read, okay? Go read further here in 1 Corinthians 14. And as you read in 1 Corinthians 14, you can pretty much read the whole chapter. And you're going to see some of the guidelines that are given for speaking in tongues. Like I said, go to the Word. 
but examine these things. But my point that I want to close with is this. Why did God give this gift? To convict, to bring repentance, to bring salvation. It was a sign for people for that purpose. You know why? Because God desires that none should perish. What did he do in, at Mount Sinai? According to the scripture, his voice split up into flames. According to the Jews, adding to it 70 nations, just like we see in the book of Acts. Guys, nothing's changed. You see, when God gave those Ten Commandments, His goal was so that people would be convicted, that they would repent, and that they would be saved. In Acts, He did the same thing, and He's calling out for you today. He's calling for you to be convicted of what you're doing in your life and seeking pleasure and being narcissistic and all we think about is what we can get. You know, the man with the most toys wins. He wants you to be convicted. He wants you to repent. He wants you to turn to him because his voice has gone out to all nations with the hope that all men would be saved. That's what he's offering. That is the gift that he is offering you to this very day. Just because you come to church doesn't mean that you're a Christian here today. I don't know all of you really well. Some of you might play church really well. I know there are days I can play church really well. Stop playing. Time is short, folks. The Lord is coming back soon. And I'll tell you something. The direction that we and even myself are headed is not a good direction sometimes when we are so focused on this world. But rather let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning at shame and sat down at the right hand of God. He did that for you. And this gift of tongues isn't for you so that you can think that you're so holy and think that you're, oh, I must be really close with God. That had nothing to do with it. It isn't about you. It's about him so that he would use you to go spread the gospel to the world so that nobody would perish. I think we have a job to do this week and next and then one after that. And it isn't to go see how much money we can gain, how many toys we can collect, and how much hot tubbing we can do. It's that we give the gospel of Jesus Christ to the people who are dying all around us. That we be that sign to those people that this is not what life is about. Jesus is what life is about. You being healed, that's not what life is about. You having your aches and pains go away, that's not what life is about. Oh, I pray that they do go away, if it be God's will. What I pray, though, most of all, is that through your aches and pains, through your struggles, through your trials, that God be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.